It's 6 p.m. and you're tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC, Camino. Today is Thursday, October 12th, and this is the KVMR Evening News. I'm Julia Jem. Recently, Governor Gavin Newsom signed a bill that extends a state law, making it easier to build affordable housing in California cities that have failed to meet state housing goals. The California Report has the details. Tomorrow is Friday the 13th. After a look at local news and weather, KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza takes to the streets of Nevada County to learn about how superstitious our community really is. We close with an essay by Molly Fisk. This is the California Report. I'm Madi Bolaños in San Francisco. Attorneys representing people who reported being sexually assaulted during Uber rides are seeking safety improvements from the company as part of a new consolidated lawsuit. KQED's Azul Dahlstrom Ekman reports. The lawsuit alleges that Uber failed to protect riders and drivers from sexual assault and harassment. Last week, a judge ordered cases from around the country to be consolidated into one in federal court in San Francisco. Attorney Rachel Abrams expects the number of plaintiffs to grow to thousands. Sexual assaults will continue to happen every day until there are cameras installed in every vehicle and additional precautions such as enhanced background checks are taken. Nearly 10,000 people reported being sexually assaulted during rides between 2017 and 2020. That's the most recent data available from Uber. Uber said they can't comment on pending litigation. For the California Report, I'm Azul Dahlstrom-Ekman in San Francisco. Governor Gavin Newsom has signed a bill extending a state law which makes it easier to build affordable housing in cities that have failed to meet state housing goals. KQED politics correspondent Guy Marzarotti has more. California's housing streamlining law was enacted six years ago, letting apartment developments in some cities skip additional environmental reviews and local approvals. Since then, projects containing nearly 20,000 units have taken advantage of the law. Newsom's signature extends the provisions until 2036 and expands the law to apply in the state's coastal zone. Groups representing California cities oppose the bill, arguing it limits local power over housing decisions. For the California Report, I'm Guy Marzarati. Twenty years after it was first created, a pilot program that allows Mexican physicians to practice in communities across California is on the verge of expanding. KVPR's Esther Quintanilla reports from the Central Valley, where half a dozen of those doctors are practicing. How are you? Good? It was Rosa Enriquez's first time visiting Dr. Rodrigo okay. de la Cruz Santa Maria, a pediatrician at the Altura Centers yeah. for Health Clinic in the city of Tulare. She came in for her three-year-old son's annual physical. Enriquez grew up in Guadalajara, Mexico. She migrated to the region when she was a teen and primarily speaks Spanish. Over the years, she noticed it was hard to find doctors who spoke the same language that she did. But she says her appointment with Dr. De La Cruz Santa Maria was different. When I speak in Spanish with the doctor, I can understand what's happening more clearly. I feel comfortable asking him more questions. The Licensed Physicians for Mexico pilot program launched after the passage of AB 1045 in California more than two decades ago. 
that allowed Mexican doctors and dentists to work in nonprofit clinics in disadvantaged communities across the state through a three-year program. Public policy consultant Arnoldo Torres helped author the bill back in 2000. He notes the rapid growth of the Latino population and the shortage of doctors as a reason why the legislation was needed. We were very concerned that our doctors who don't speak the language could not give them the best care. But the project was stalled for many years. According to Torres, the main obstacle was meeting one of the main legal requirements for the program, finding medical schools and hospitals that accepted foreign physicians. The Journal of Medical Regulation also found there was skepticism from different agencies in the state. Our priority became to make sure that this doctor that came from Mexico was as good as any doctor in providing the medical care, the protocols, the standards, the quality. To participate in the program, the physicians had to complete a residency in one of California's medical schools or hospitals, be licensed by the state medical board, and learn English as a second language. And that's on top of needing accreditation from Mexico. Today, there are more than 30 Mexican doctors working in San Benito, Monterey, Los Angeles, and Tulare counties. Torres says these doctors are meeting a gap in places like Tulare County, where nearly 70% of the population is Latino and roughly half speak Spanish. They speak the language and they know the culture. And that, my God, when you have the confidence of the patient, the patient's going to tell you things that they would never tell somebody that they don't have confianza. That word, confianza, translates to confidence in English. But for many Legros Enriquez, confianza means more than words. There are some words we don't know how to translate to English, and if our doctor doesn't understand, then it's hard to explain what's happening. Enriquez's pediatrician, Dr. De La Cruz Santa Maria, is originally from Mexico City. He applied for the program in 2016 and wasn't fully approved until 2022. He started treating patients earlier this year. He says almost all the people he serves in the city of Tulare are no different than those he would see back in Mexico. Many of the people I see here are from Michoacán, Guerrero, Guanajuato, Zacatecas, Jalisco. De La Cruz Santa Maria says in the few months he's worked at the Altura Clinic, he's felt a strong sense of community. To work here, where people who left everything behind in Mexico but brought their customs and traditions with them to the U.S., I'm honored to serve the people here. The program's first round of doctors are expected to return to Mexico next year. But plans for the program are continuing. Legislators want to expand the program to more counties and include physicians who speak Mexican indigenous languages such as Mixtec and Zapotec. For The California Report, I'm Esther Quintanilla in Tulare. Support for the California Report comes from the California Healthcare Foundation, Listening to Black Californians, a new study on how the healthcare system undermines the pursuit of good health, on the web at chcf.org slash LBCA. Paint Care, now with more than 850 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. And... Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, advancing the frontiers of ocean science, exploration, and discovery on the web at schmidtocean.org. 
And that's the California Report for Thursday, October 12th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Remember, you can get all your statewide news on the California Report podcast. Subscribe and download the show wherever you get your podcasts and listen to our show anytime you'd like. You can also ask your smart speaker to play the California Report. I'm your host, Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. In regional news, the Grass Valley City Council met this week to further discuss a general sales tax measure to be placed on upcoming election ballots. A consensus was reached by council to move away from the half-cent general tax proposal and instead support a 3-8 percent or 0.00375 percent general sales tax. That's according to Tim Kaiser, city manager. Kaiser reminded the council that Measure V passed within the city limits of Grass Valley, and the risks of fire events remain a concern for residents. If you don't remember what that was, Measure V was a general tax meant to go towards emergency planning and prevention. It's important to note, though, that it only passed within those Grass Valley city limits. It did not pass countywide. This proposed 3-8 percent sales tax would be an option split 50-50 between vegetation management and fire resiliency. It would total to around $2.5 million annually. Details regarding what this new proposal might bring include potentially moving closer to national standards. That would mean things like increasing from two to three firefighters per engine and operating of vegetation management, education, and inspection program, as well as fuel reduction, grants to residences and businesses, and the potential creation of a temporary refuge area. All of that is in addition to the hardening of critical infrastructure. Yesterday morning, the Nevada Irrigation District's Board of Directors met with a number of items on the docket. One of those items was the Hemp Hill Diversion Fish Passage Project, which would amend the 2023 annual budget, increasing the amount by $239,493. An NID staff report said the following, quote, The in-stream construction of the roughened rock ramp portion of the Hemp Hill Diversion Fish Passage Project was completed on November 1st of 2022. Throughout the winter season, several large rain events brought high flows to Auburn Ravine, with a significant event occurring in December of 2022. As a result of these high flow events, a scour hole began to form immediately downstream of the installed sheet pile wall within the roughened ramp. Because of those damages, the measure was agreed upon with consensus from the board. Back in February of 2020 and in October of 2021, the NID board authorized the sale of energy, resource adequacy, and other entities from the Combi South Powerhouse to the Northern California Power Agency. The next item in this meeting concerned to that agreement. Specifically, the board determined that in order to continue to sell the product from the Combi South Powerhouse, a new contract would need to be reached with Northern California Power Agency. Following negotiations, a contract was drawn with some conditions, including a term of transaction spanning from January 1st of 2024 to December 31st of 2025, and a start date for sales of those same entities from the Deer Creek Powerhouse. Approximate revenue from the Deer Creek Powerhouse is expected to range from $1.3 million to $1.7 million and average around $1.5 million. That move was approved by all five NID board members. The next meeting of the Nevada Irrigation District's Board of Directors will be held October 25th at 1036 West Main Street in Grass Valley at 9 o'clock a.m. Turning now to a look at the regional weather forecast from the National Weather Service. In Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, partly cloudy with a low around 48. 
Friday, increasing clouds with a high near 69. Friday night, mostly cloudy with a low around 50 degrees. For Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, partly cloudy with a low around 30 degrees. Friday, partly sunny with a high near 61. Friday night, mostly cloudy with a low around 36. And for Sacramento and the surrounding valley, tonight, mostly cloudy with a low around 52 degrees. Friday, increasing clouds with a high near 77. And Friday night, mostly cloudy with a low around 56. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Tomorrow is Friday the 13th, a date that, since the first half of the 19th century, has been considered unlucky in Western culture. But how superstitious is our local community, and what do they presume tomorrow will bring? Hopefully nothing, knock on wood. Coming up, KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza brings us voices from all around Nevada County to answer these questions. This year, the 13th falls on Friday twice. It happened back in January, and it's going to happen again tomorrow. I was curious about how people in Nevada County felt about the day, so I set out with microphone in hand. First stop, Launderland in Brunswick Basin. Mario, I'm from Arizona. Mario, you know tomorrow is Friday the 13th? Uh, yeah, I guess, because today's the 12th, so... Does that make any difference to you? No. So do you consider yourself a superstitious person? Um, no, I mean, you gotta read your signs, you know, if, uh... You know, you don't wanna... keep going into the same pothole over and over again, so you gotta learn your lessons. You could call it superstition, you know? but it's the good kind of superstition that if you learn from your lessons, you'd be good. (laughs) Just outside, I met Eric. He was cool enough to take a break from his work to share his views on superstition. Eric Lennox. I live in Grass Valley, California. Did you know that tomorrow is Friday the 13th? I'm aware of that because my buddy's band is playing. So yeah, yeah. I think it's pretty cool. I mean, it's right in time for uh, Halloween. Do you consider yourself a superstitious person? Sometimes. Sometimes, yes. Not like walking over a crack and break your mom's back or stuff like that. But um, it's just if you do something bad, it's going to come back to you. It's not superstitious, but but it, that's karma. But also, I think when you go out into the community, if you have good intentions... It's the the demeanor of the person that makes it different. However, the superstitions come with the energy of the people that you surround yourself with. And the superstitions, they go back for thousands of years. And they could be a myth. They could be, you know, something else that somebody wrote about or somebody just believes that that's the way it is. And if you believe that, then it is. So, yeah, that's what I think. A little later, after crossing Brunswick Road, I met George. So I'm standing outside of Ben Franklin, and what's your name, sir? George. I live in Grass Valley. George, did you know that it's Friday the 13th tomorrow? No, I did not. And now that you know, does that make any difference? No, 
None at all. Tomorrow's a normal day. You wouldn't think twice if a black cat crossed your path. Not at all, or cr crossing under a ladder or any of those things. Uh, those are, are superstitious, uh, but uh, I don't believe in them. Finally, I talked to Mike, who was visiting the area for work. Mike is more of what you might call a Friday the 13th traditionalist, or maybe celebrant. Mike. And Mike, where are you from? I'm from Citrus Heights, actually. Do you know what day tomorrow is? Friday the 13th. Does that change anything for you? Well, I gotta work, but I mean, I'm looking forward to the night part of it. Yeah, what's going on? Scary movies all night long. Mike, are you superstitious? A little bit. I believe in ghosts and stuff like that. I hear up here there's a lot of crazy stuff going on. What have you heard? Uh, I heard that like there's some uh, cabins and stuff like that, haunted cabins and stuff like that are up here. Like it's a kind of like a tourist attraction where people go to. I'd like to go to see, check that one out. I'm trying to figure out where it is right now. <laughs> right on, Mike. Are there any superstitions that you observe, like? Do you believe in black cats crossing your path being bad luck or anything like that? Uh, I believe in black cats crossing your path and, uh, path and deja vu. Right? I feel like deja vu is part of that. Like you've been in some weird situations where like deja vu is like, oh my god, I've been here, I've done this before. Right? I feel like that's part of like superstition. And so going back to Friday the 13th, you said you're going to watch a bunch of scary movies. Is there anything else that you would do different? Like are you going to be on the lookout for you know, crazy stuff happening or anything like that? Um, I mean, I'll probably keep on the lookout, but I'm gonna go prank some people. My sister really like doesn't do horror or anything, so I'm gonna prank her tomorrow. That's gonna be fun. <laughs> what are you gonna do? Uh, I'm just gonna like break into her house at nighttime when she's afraid or something like that, and then go. Wah! She has two girls, so they're gonna be screaming. It's gonna be fun. I love being Uncle Mike. <laughs> and now Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk, Observations from a Working Poet. It's been five years since I came to southern Utah, a landscape I feel in my bones. I'm older and less spry, and the place we stay is at 6,700 feet, where the air is knife-thin. A week wasn't long enough for me to acclimate. I spent some of my time stopping to pant, rest, and look around at the aspens, which were glorious. A whole mountain covered with them in all stages, about half bright gold, some still green, unturned, and some bare-branched and silvery, the leaves carpeting the ground at their feet. Beyond and around this mountain, Boulder Mountain, is a vast, dry, inland sea, colored cream and pink and dark red and gray, in buttes and escarpments, cliffs, uprisings. You can almost hear ghost waves breaking over it. There's also the dark green of pinion pine and juniper. Seeing the juniper up close and its plentiful berries at this time of year brought a line into my head from Sharon Olds's poem, The Promise. You are drinking gin, night blue juniper berry dissolving in your body. I didn't taste a berry, but I scrambled up some needles in my fingers for the sharp scent. Is there a place in the world where you feel startlingly at home? This is not mine, but it's close. It is my friend's heart and soul landscape, which I sometimes envy, but mostly am glad she's found, and very glad she introduced me to it. We're here together trying to replenish ourselves after rough summers where we both got overwhelmed. 
Our circumstances differ, but their size does not. How do you recover from hard things? I need to look at nature, listen to silence, and not have to answer any emails. Sometimes I write poems, but not always. This place we visit is 13 hours by car from our town, and we both love the lunar emptiness of central Nevada. When they say Route 50 is the loneliest road in America, they are not kidding. After hours of wide valleys sloping up to treeless peaks, our shoulders drop, our jaws unclench. We're able to take in beauty again and even giggle. We left home at 4.30, so we got to see the sunrise. The last leg of the drive is up scenic Byway 12, past Bryce Canyon, through what's known as Color Country, to Escalante and then Boulder, population 236. As well as red rock, vistas, and distance from home, we come here for the food. Hell's Backbone Grill has served up deliciousness for a quarter century, among the first to check all the now-trendy boxes of locally sourced, naturally raised, seasonal, organic, farm-to-fork dining. My friend and I sample everything we can on these trips, from frisky creek trout with sumac butter to peach and pignon cornmeal crust crisp. Once she even brought me back some chocolate chili cream pot, their sexy chimayo-laced version of custard when I couldn't join her. We did relax. We slept and wrote and drank coffee. My friend hiked her favorite trail while I took photos of aspens. On the long drive home, we talked about who we are and what we want now that we're the age of our grandparents. This fact alone is unbelievable. But next to 63 million years of rock formations, also comfortingly trivial. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's our newscast for this Thursday, October 12th. Head over to our website, kvmr.org, or subscribe to the KVMR News Podcast to hear more. KVMR gets support from listeners like you and Green Acres Nursery and Supply. Fall is planting time for spring-blooming bulbs. Selections of bulb varieties and tips on bulb preparation for success in the spring are available in-store and online at idiggreenacres.com. And Prosperity Lanes, offering 18 lanes of solar-powered, air-conditioned bowling with group accommodations, black light bowling, special needs accessibility, and league bowling. Shirley's Grill serves salads, soups, breakfast, burgers, and beer. Open daily. ProsperityLanes.com Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. The KVMR Evening Newscast is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Julia Jem. Have a great night.